We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hump day, home and home. We are brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter home and home radio.com sports original Pete family Yahoo sports coming up in just a bit to tell us what the future holds for NCAA athletes. Can they now profit from their name image or likeness or not? Not entirely clear. If you read the fine print of what Mark Emmert said, we'll get to that in just a sec. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut, Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. Want to start though with the NFL trade deadline. That was not kind of felt like season two of big little lies. So much drama in season number one, so much expectation. And then season two comes in, ah, not as much drama as we might've hoped. There was drama behind the scenes though, for the New York jets not the kind they would like. They make no moves, but they make a lot of waves. Jet safety Jamal Adams apparently shopped and apparently very offended by what GM Joe Douglas did. He says, Joe Douglas went behind my back and shopped me around to teams. Reportedly, according to Pro Football Talk, the Cowboys, that was some intrigue burning up Twitter early on. Cowboys offered a first rounder plus a third day pick for Adams. The Jets wanted a pair of second rounders to go with the first rounder. So let's start, though. There's there's many other stories that have to do with the Jets. But, Ross, uh, this sounds to me like what any GM ought to do. This is what GMs do before the trade deadline. They shop around players that might bring them a lot of picks. Why is Jamal Adams so offended? Or do I have this one wrong? All right, so let me take a step back first. What is yep. Big Little Lies? Oh, Ross. Now, you don't watch a lot of TV. You don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman. Um, okay, you could probably call it a bit of a chick drama. That is entirely fair. I love chick dramas, quite frankly, whether they're movies. I love rom-coms. I love the genre. I'm, I'm kind of a chick when it comes to television and movies. Beyond watching sports, I'm probably watching some type of chick drama. But season number one, dude, was loaded with drama and action and deceit and death and all of it. And it just built the expectations up so high that season two naturally had to disappoint quite a bit. You should check it out, but you don't watch a whole lot of television. No, I don't. I will say this, though. I, I know what you're talking about now because my wife has watched some of them or all of them. That's the type of thing that she watches when I'm either traveling or if I'm downstairs in the uh, in the man cave, if you will, watching football. Because I have seen that with Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman. That one guy's a jerk that... Uh, that would hit people so they killed him, right? That's that's like the whole premise of the show. There you go. See, you're, you, you've you got the broad strokes of it. It's a terrific show. Again, season two wasn't terrible. 
like the NFL trade deadline, there was still some action. It just wasn't what we expected. And, well, the New York Jets made it interesting, even though they did nothing. So it's kind of like well, Big Little Lies and that, too. Yeah, and by the way, just so you know, I'm with you on rom-coms. That's my favorite genre of movie. I like romantic comedies. When I go to a movie, and this is just in general in life, okay? Class is in yep. session, all right? Everybody gather yep. around, gather around. Okay, Class I'm taking is notes. In, session. Yep. in life, you want to smile a lot. You want to laugh a lot. I mean, those get the endorphins going. Those make your body and brain feel joy. That's why I like romantic comedies. I smile. Uh, they're going to get together at the end. They're, those two, they're going to end up together. I know it. Oh, that was funny on their date when he did that. Yes, I like romantic comedies. I don't need to go to a movie, like a horror movie, and be like this the whole time and stressed out. And you hear the music. It's like, ah, I, I don't need that. I got enough stress in my life. I really don't have that much stress in my life, but I I don't need stress. I I, I don't want stress. No, thank you. I don't even need like a exhilarating drama and action. I mean, I don't mind that stuff, but I'm with you, Mr. Briggs. I like romantic comedies. That's kind of what I'm into. I, I like that. Now, I will say this. The one show my wife and I DVR and we do watch, This Is mm -hmm. Us. I love love. I like family stuff. I like stuff like that. I don't need stress. I don't need anxiety. I don't need horror movies. I don't need any of that shit. Okay? If I'm going to go choose to go to fairy tale land with a movie or a TV show, I want to be happy at the end of it. I want to be happy during it for the most part. I like okay. to emote. I think that's cool too and a cool part of life. So anyway, I'm with you, you hang on. on romantic comedies. It reminds me of this, Dave. It reminds me of this, okay? Yeah. Go ahead. No, you, you go ahead. Well, do you tear up when you watch This Is Us? Because I would say three out of four episodes, I, I get a little teared up. Without question. Okay. And, and you got problems if you don't. Without question. And by the way, let me. I'm glad you brought that up too, Dave. Uh, here's another point that needs to be made. It's okay to cry. It's okay to tear up from a positive emotion. You know these people are like, oh, you're a guy, you don't cry. What, why? What does that mean? Does that mean you're not as tough? I feel like we've been over this with my musical taste before. I will smoke you in the face <laughs> with my elbow and put your nose like 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 we gotta we gotta you know what we gotta do dave i feel like we're breaking new ground yeah. on this show okay yeah uh-huh we gotta get to the point where we get rid of some of the false narratives when it comes to toughness or masculinity or whatever you know what i mean like you know what toughness is and you know what being a real man is it's being there for your kids at all times. It's tying their laces, figuring out how to put their hair into a ponytail. It's shit like that. That's being a real man. And when you watch This Is Us, if you don't get a little teary at the end, I feel bad for you. I really do. I feel bad for you. 
because you don't you, you don't understand. And maybe that's just because you don't have kids or whatever. That's a whole different topic. But those are things in life that are really special and that really matter. It's Jim Valvano, right? Every day you should laugh. You should cry. That's a heck of a day. I love it. And if you're too worried about, oh my gosh, if they see me crying, they'll think I'm not tough. Then guess what? You're a loser. You're a loser because you care that much what other people think. That's the problem. Who cares what other people think? Who cares? It's like it's like living your whole life on social media. Oh my gosh, I'm doing this really fun thing rather than enjoying this fun thing. Let me let me take a picture and video of me doing this fun thing so everybody I know knows I do fun things because that makes me cooler. No, it doesn't. It makes you a loser because you didn't enjoy the moment. It's more important to you rather than actually enjoying the experience that is this life to make sure other people know you're having a good time. You're not having that great of a time if you're going out of your way to take a picture or a video during the moment itself. I'm done. Cancel the show. Listen, Home and Home is where you go for romantic comedy appreciation. Rom-com appreciation happens right here at Home and Home. We love them. I mean, Notting Hill, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. We could go on and on. Sleepless in Seattle. Some of my favorites. Um, of course, you got to love Love Actually. I mean, that's probably my favorite movie of all time, or at least one of those movies that I would take to a deserted island. Ross Tucker and Dave Briggs, emotional men here this morning. <laughs> we will not tear up, though. We will not shed a tear for you today. But do you shed a tear for the situation with the New York Jets, who, in not trading guys, seem to piss them off? Well, at least Jamal Adams. Le'Veon Bell was apparently shocked. He was on Instagram saying he is happy to be a Jet and pleading with all the fans of the Jets to have patience in their organization that they will turn it around. So Le'Veon Bell apparently understands how business is done when you're a big boy in the NFL. Why can't he share that memo with Jamal Adams? You know, it, it sounds like, Dave, Jamal Adams went to Adam Gase and the head coach and Joe Douglas, the GM on Friday, and said, this is where I want to be. I want to be a Jet. I don't want to leave. I want to be part of the solution. I want to help build this thing and get this thing turned around here. And then... And I think he, he, at least he believes or was led to believe that the Jets weren't going to trade him. They didn't have an interest in trading him and that they wanted him to be here for the long haul, wanted to be with the Jets for the long haul. He then found out behind the scenes from his agent in his mind that the Jets were shopping him. This is probably semantics, Dave, as much as anything else, because I think the Jets probably weren't really shopping him, but they were going to listen. Someone blows him away with an offer. They're certainly going to listen. The, the, the Cowboys evidently offered a first-round pick for Jamal Adams and a, and a, and a second-day pick or third-day pick as well for Jamal Adams and – the Jets still said no, which means they didn't really want to trade him. 
I mean, if they really wanted to trade him, or they're really shopping him, they would have shot. They would have sent him for a first round pick. They didn't want to do that. They wanted Jamal Adams on their team, unless someone gave him a ridiculous offer. So I guess I believe that the Jets weren't really shopping Jamal Adams, depending on how you define that term. And that my guess is Joe Douglas is trying to make that clear to Jamal. Look, we didn't, I didn't call one team about you. But if they called and they wanted to talk trade, I said, okay, what are you thinking? And if they mentioned your name, I said, I'm listening. That's not shopping. I would do it for anybody on the team. Yeah, and everybody outside a franchise quarterback should understand that. That's just the deal in the NFL. That's the cost of doing business, making all that money, getting to play a kid's game for millions of dollars. But net-net, at the end of the day, when you're the New York Jets and you, you got your quarterback seeing ghosts and you had uh, Luke Falk in there for a couple of games, you're one and six, everything feels like it's a mess. And then you uh, release Kalecio Simile, who had surgery trying to protect his health, and you let him go. What is that locker room like right now and could this continue to spiral even further out of control you know what it's a weird situation there's no question uh, the assembly thing is a bad look for the franchise one way or the other how about the cj mosley thing where you know he plays well in that first game against buffalo they probably should have won that game then he's hurt he's out for a while comes back Plays against the Patriots, not very much, not very effectively, and now he's out for another five to six weeks? Are you kidding me? I mean, the Jets medical team has a lot of questions that need to be answered in my mind because it's ridiculous. Both those situations are ridiculous. Osemele and the C.J. Mosley. That's hurting them when it comes to winning games. Then you've got... They traded Leonard Williams, although we should actually talk more about that. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, Dave, with Jason Locke and Fora. I don't blame the Jets for that trade at all. I'm like, are you kidding me? I have no idea what the Giants were doing there. None. They might have just traded a third and fifth round pick for a guy that only plays eight games for them. What? For And they're two and six. I mean, that's insane. And by the way, if they do re-sign him, then they got to give up a fourth-round pick. I have an unbelievable idea, Dave, if you're the Giants. How about don't trade for Leonard Williams? How about keep those two draft picks? And how about <laughs> sign him in March when he's a completely unrestricted free agent? Well, I mean, the more I think about it, and I like Dave Gettleman, but I don't like this move. One of the worst recent trades it's not first round picks so people won't get all up in arms about it yeah one of the worst first round picks i mean one of the worst trades i've seen in quite some time i actually thought the guy that might move for the jets and would have made sense wasn't darnold wasn't jamal adams with a couple years left on his contract it was robbie anderson robbie anderson in the last year of his deal i thought might go to philadelphia or somewhere where they're looking for a speed receiver, the Jets must feel confident that they're going to re-sign him. Because you can say, well, if he leaves, we get a compensatory pickback. That's only if you operate at a net deficit, Dave. This is very important that people understand this. 
if you sign, if you lose three guys to free agency, but you sign three guys of approximately equal or somewhat commensurate value, you get nothing. You get zero compensatory picks. So are we to think that the Jets aren't going to be signing guys? Like, that's the weird part to me is I probably would have taken something for Robbie Anderson because if you're the Jets, you got to think they're going to be pretty active in free agency and they might not even get a compensatory pick for him. That was, I think, what carried the day is teams that seemed like they had every reason to make a deal and for some reason didn't pull the trigger. Robbie Anderson certainly fits that. The Denver Broncos, as much as I would hate Chris Harris to have to go, seemed like that team is quickly headed nowhere at two and six. Why not get something for him now when you acknowledge and he acknowledges he is probably somewhere else next season? So many teams, Washington Redskins, that could have gotten a first-round pick, we do believe, for Trent Williams. So many teams that sat pat. Now, it's easy to understand if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, that didn't want to overpay, that didn't want to mortgage the future to give yourself a little bit more talent for a Super Bowl run. But for those teams that are headed nowhere, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Certainly the Cincinnati Bengals, we have mentioned why they didn't ship away Andy Dalton or at least try to. And A.J. Green, who cares if the locker room wants him to stay He's in the last year of his contract? He's still a borderline elite talent in this league. Can't imagine there weren't a handful of teams that would have paid dearly for A.J. Green. We will talk about the one deal that did happen before the deadline, and it's a guy that essentially gets a break on state income tax and will probably never suit up for his new team. We'll talk about that trade in just a sec. But first, I want to talk about ZipRecruiter. You know why? Because ZipRecruiter is a bunch of geniuses. You know why? They sponsor the show. They know what's up. If you sponsor this show... You know what the heck is up. If for no other reason, you should check out ZipRecruiter. Because that proves that they have exquisite taste. That proves they know what's going on in the world. So check them out. If you need candidates for any job, they find them for you. Their technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. You're not just sitting there waiting on your butt they go find them for you that's how you can find whatever you're looking for tough tough to find good employees these days i get it trust me i get it with results like ZipRecruiter, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Back now to season two of Big Little Lies, the one trade that did happen before the trade deadline. More of a salary dump, and it's a keep to leave. The corner goes from the Rams to the Miami Dolphins, it's likely he'll never even suit up, play it down for the Miami Dolphins. He is on the IR, but there is a silver lining for Keep Tlaib. He's got to love this, man. I mean, you're on IR, right? You're just rehabbing. 
So now you get to go down to South Beach, where, yes, I mean, L.A.'s nice, but you go to South Beach, and most importantly, you save $560,000 on state income taxes, what's left on that deal, as the Miami Dolphins continue to find new and creative ways to tank. We talked about the all-out blitz Monday night against the Steelers, third and 20, under a minute to go, and they bring the all-out blitz, which led to a touchdown, and they lost that game to the Steelers. And then after the game, Xavier Howard probably – well, not probably, the best player on this roster, one of the better defensive backs in the game. He goes on the IR as well. Certainly he was hurt, but certainly this team is just finding new and creative ways to assure they stay at the very bottom, although it won't be easy. The Cincinnati Bengals are coming for them, and they play in Week 16. Dolphins also have two more games against the New York Jets. So they're going to have to get creative to stay winless. It ain't easy to get that number one pick in the NFL draft. Give me the one trade. If you could have your way yesterday in the trade deadline, what one deal would you have made? Uh, there's two that I would have really liked to have seen get done. Um, and by the way, the Tlaib thing is interesting you know, for the Rams, you know, they needed the cap space to sign a guy like, you know, Jalen Ramsey. So for the Rams to get $4 million in cap space, is that 4.3 or whatever it is, 4.25, is that worth a fifth-round pick? Now, they end up getting a seventh-round pick back in a couple years. For the Dolphins, would you rather have – $4.25 million to spend on a player or a fifth-round pick. I think that's a really interesting discussion we could get into. The trades I would have liked to have seen were, number one, Trent Williams to either the Patriots or the Cleveland Browns. I just don't want him with the Redskins anymore. You know, either one of those would have been fine. Probably Cleveland, because clearly they need the help, would have given them a boost, maybe given Cleveland a chance to make things interesting in the second half of the year, you know, just the boost, the better offensive line, et cetera. That's a big one. I also would have liked to seen Robbie Anderson go to the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles looked very good against the bills with Deshaun Jackson still out. They are still lacking that deep threat receiver and Robbie Anderson, even if it was just for the, the last eight games of the year, he could have gone a long way. That could have really helped having Anderson out there just to give them someone that can legitimately take the top off the defense. I would have liked to have seen somehow, some way, OBJ to be shipped. Uh, look, I, the guy is a once-in-a-generation type of talent that is not making Baker Mayfield better, that is not making the Cleveland Browns better. It's been the worst start of OBJ's career. He started to hint about some unhappiness when he voiced his concern that Freddie Kitchens didn't challenge Stephon Gilmore more in the football game. Freddie Kitchens did not seem at all amused by that suggestion by OBJ. But I'm just not sure this is a situation that works for Beckham, even though he's got his best friend Jarvis Landry there, or if it's a situation that works for the Cleveland Browns. And just say they could have, I'm just saying, what if they could have shipped him for Trent Williams and somehow made that move work? You need an offensive lineman. You need to improve, and Beckham's not making you better. 
uh, Baker Mayfield last year in breaking the rookie record for touchdown passes through no more than four touchdowns to any one player. So clearly he's not a quarterback that wants to or needs to lock into any one receiver. Is it making it more difficult for Baker to try and feed targets to Odell Beckham? I'm not entirely clear if that's the case, but it is clear that this situation is not making either side better. I can't help but wonder how long it works for Beckham in Cleveland. And he gives those goat cleats to Tom Brady. Maybe that would have been awesome. Ship Odell Beckham up there to New England. Let Tom Brady play with a Hall of Fame receiver actually in his prime instead of the one season he got with Randy Moss where he was well past his prime and Moss caught 23 receiving touchdowns and Brady threw for 50. I know the rest of the league would hate it, but I sure would love to see Brady throw to a premier downfield, big, physical, talented wide receiver. Never going to get that chance. But that's what I would have done before the trade deadline. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Pete Thamel from Yahoo Sports joins us with the news from the NCAA and Mark Emmert. And the most important part of that announcement, well, it sounded like they were tiptoeing around it because these words, in a matter consistent with the collegiate model. What does that mean? We'll ask Pete when we come back. Was it a giant step forward or was it baby steps when the NCAA yesterday cleared the path for NCAA athletes to profit from their name, image, or likeness? Let's listen to the NCAA president, Mark Emmert, yesterday. Well, I think it's a really important decision uh, for the student athletes and, and for the institutions, the universities and colleges of the NCAA. Now, the, the board took a big step today to say that it is indeed within their policies and they want the schools to go out and promulgate rules that will allow students to be able to take advantage of their name, image, and likeness, uh, but do that in a way that's consistent with the collegiate model of sport. We're now engaged in a process with the membership, the 1,100 schools, to change the bylaws, the rules, if you will, governing all of these issues, and we're going to do that in the coming uh, coming months as they get a chance to sit down and debate it more. The Board of Governors took a great big step today, uh, and I think and hope that everybody will appreciate how important that is. The states are going to do what they're going to do. Um, we happen to believe, and I think common sense suggests, that trying to have 50 different sets of rules to run a national system doesn't make a lot of sense. And So trying to do that on national scale is the only way to really have successful sports. We're now in... I think the most important words in what... Emmert said, in a manner consistent with the collegiate model. What does that mean? Does he even know? Let's ask Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports. He's been all over this story from the start. Pete, good to see you. Dave Briggs, Ross Tucker. Is it a giant step or is it, what about Bob, baby steps? It, you know, a very good question. I do think philosophically and generally it's an important moment for the NCAA because after a, a century of clinging to amateurism, a door has been opened uh, for, for athletes to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. So I don't want to totally cast that aside because of the ambiguity from which the announcement was ensconced in, right? The looking forward, this is a really compelling pivot point for how college sports are going to work. And, and that shouldn't be understated, but I, I really think that the best way to sum it up, uh, I, I wrote in my column on, on Yahoo this morning, uh, 
came to me this way. It, it, an athletic director kind of looked at the landscape and said, trying to find it here, uh, you know, they're waving a flag saying, we hear you. We know we need to get something done. It's complicated. Give us a minute. And, and that's why they left these very open-ended phrases like the one uh, you just mentioned, Dave. They're, they're, they do not have any specificity. And I had three different people tell me yesterday, the devil's in the details. The devil's in the details. The devil's in the details. And we don't know the details. So let, we can't throw them a parade yet until we know exactly how this is going to work. But the, the key line of demarcation, as I see it right now, is recruiting. Can you go and like drive a new uh, SUV up to a recruit's house and offer it to him as an inducement to go there? Does this only start, say, an example someone gave to me was, once you step on the field as an athlete, then you can profit from your name, image, and likeness as that. And the recruiting piece, as we've talked about on the show, guys, would be very thorny and very tricky to navigate. And I think they're intimidated by that. So I think that's why there was some of that coded language to keep it in check, because nobody quite knows how to legislate that that tarpit. I'm curious about this, Pete. And obviously, I think you made it very clear. I think that was well said about us not really even knowing what this means. Uh, other than the NCAA trying to say, okay, like we're going to do something, we hear you. I guess I'm curious, take the recruiting part of it out, right? How many players on each team, how many players in the country, and I guess I'm thinking mainly football, I guess we could throw basketball in there, but how many of them really would provide value enough to whatever businesses are out there to get paid for their name, image, and likeness. Like, I live in Pennsylvania. Um, I can see people paying money for some Penn State guys to sign autographs at an autograph show, for sure. I mean, maybe K.J. Hamler or Micah Parsons or maybe the quarterback gets something. But I guess what I'm saying is if, if you separate the – hey, we're giving you this to stay in school so you don't go pro. We're giving this to you because I'm a big donor, booster, and I want you to come to school here. How many companies really think that paying a student athlete for their name, image, and likeness is really going to be a good return on investment, I guess, is my question. I'm very curious about that. Yeah, no, it, it's really, it, I think that question, even within the 60-something uh, Power 5 schools, you're going to get very disparate answers, Ross. Like, someone would pay KJ Hamler $10,000 to go to his son's 10th birthday party, right? Like some some well-heeled booster in, in the state college area. That's that's very real. I, I live in, in Boston, as you can see the skyline behind me, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think AJ Dillon would command a lot of money from like a local restaurant or club to make an appearance, even though he's one of the best running backs in college football and the school's all time leading rusher. Now, if he was the school's all time leading rusher at Georgia, he could be, you know, you, you could put him at the, the local subway or the local bookstore, and there would be a lot of different opportunities uh, for him to make money. I would think half of the Georgia roster could probably find some, some income, you know, the, the whole, the whole two deep essentially. Um, people would want them to come and, and, and do different things and, and, and pay them for that. Um, but yeah, I do think it's a fairly significant amount. I mean, the, the, the example used for years was jersey sales. 
Like, is that going to change anyone's life if you're not Zion Williamson or some 1% of 1%? No. But there are car dealerships and there are restaurants and there are places around the country where, you know, guys could get some some well-needed uh, side earnings. Um, I was talking to one of our basketball recruiting analysts at Rivals.com yesterday, and he had an interesting point about basketball. He said that non-football schools where basketball's king could actually really benefit from this. Wichita State, for example, it's all there is in that city. Uh, and those guys are going to have a lot of opportunities. Look at a place like Murray State, where John Morant just came out of. That's a basketball mad, tiny little, tiny little town, Murray, Kentucky. You know, they, they could really take care of different guys there. So I think it's going to become very individualized to, to where you are. Look, look at Stanford, for example. I talked to Oliver Luck yesterday. He, he didn't think that, you know, Andrew would have gone to a different school because of these things. Like he went to Stanford to go to Stanford. And in Palo Alto, those athletes aren't that big of a deal. Would someone, you know, want Andrew Luck at his birthday party and, and somebody maybe pay him a, a nice slice of cash for that? Sure. But for, for the most part, uh, guys that guys in a city like that and a place like that probably aren't going to be overwhelmed with interest. So it was ironically government that led the way here. Uh, California <laughs> passing the Fair Pay to Play Act. Nancy Skinner helped that get done. Governor Gallatin Newsom signed it into law. Twelve other states are considering similar pieces of legislation. North Carolina Congressman Mark Walker is pushing the NCAA to change. And then there came along Senator Richard, Senator Richard Burr, who mm. tweeted this to reaction to the NCAA. Quote, if college athletes are going to make money off their likeness while in school, their scholarship should be treated like income. I will be introducing legislation that subjects scholarships given to athletes who choose to cash in to income tax. What is your reaction to that stupid tweet from the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee? <laughs> <laughs> either Richard Burr had a bad day or one of his interns or social media handlers had a bad day. You are in the state of North Carolina where college sports are like religion. If you come out, stand on the table in the immediate wrath of uh, this legislation being passed and come out as anti-college sports, you really do not deserve to, to serve in Congress. That is just one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my entire career. Just how tone deaf to what the, the what, fans and the audience feel right now are, and how don't tone deaf to your own constituency. I mean, I just think he needs to tweet something out, mea culpa, I messed up, because it was just like unforgivably stupid. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I, I think you make a good point too, Pete, when you talk about uh, the jersey sales, because that is the one thing about it that's always kind of bugged me, is that every time I've ever gone to Penn State or whatever, the jersey they're selling is always the jersey of the best kid on the team. Always. And so it really felt like, more than anything else, the schools were monetizing and earning money off the name, image, and likeness of the player. But I think the flip side is interesting as well, which is how much of that, and I think you brought this up before, how much of that is really the name, image, and likeness of that player? And how much of it is just he happens to be the best player wearing that uniform that year? You know, like, the, like how much of the value is in the name KJ Hamler versus 
being Penn State's best football player. Like a, a bunch of the value and the money he'll get is because he's Penn State's best football player. I, I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, it does, and that's one of the one of the fundamental tensions uh, that was always in the amateurism argument, Ross. Like, you know, Zion Williamson surely was worth a boatload of money when he was at Duke, but Duke also provided some value to Zion Williamson by giving him a stage. And I think you're basically, you know, encapsulating that that fundamental tension of, you know, I didn't know who KJ Hamler was coming out of high school. He, he, I'm sure he was a great recruit because he's an unbelievable athlete, but. He wasn't one of these guys that was like a top five sensation who rose to the level where a national reporter would have to know about him. So the, the stage of Penn State has lifted KJ Hamler, and that's a little bit of the rhetoric that the that the NCAA is always is always hid behind. And you know the people who are saying kids shouldn't go to college right now um, and and should just go to the NBA are putting to Zion and say, hey, you know Zion became the number one pick at Duke, and Zion certainly gained a couple million Instagram followers w- when he was at Duke. So. Uh, I, I do I, I do hear both sides of that argument, and Russ, because they are literally both sides of the argument that that we've had. Like, has has Penn State helped make KJ Hamler? Sure. Has he lifted Penn State? Definitely. But I think if I fall in the middle, should both sides benefit from it? Yes. Talking to Pete Dammel, Yahoo Sports, about the latest move by the NCAA and what it means. Devil is in the details. We'll find out in the weeks, months, and perhaps the years to come. Want to transition to tanking for Tua. That's been the mantra all year of at least we, the media, and fans down there in Miami. But I was on Pro Football Focus this morning looking at their mock draft, and it really caught my attention as I kept looking down the slots looking for Tua. And they have him, the quarterback at Alabama, going number 10 in the draft next season. Is Tua the best player in college football? Is he even the best pro prospect quarterback? So I don't think Tua is the best player in college football. Uh, I've been on the Chase Young bandwagon uh, from, the, from the earlier side. I, I talked to a lot of NFL scouts, uh, a, a lot of guys who were on the sort of co- same college trail that I am. And there has been a very consistent chorus throughout this season before his four-sack game on Saturday, that Chase Young is the best individual player and the best prospect in all of college football. He certainly showed that with four sacks, two forced fumbles, and five TFLs against Wisconsin. In my 16 years covering National College Football, guys, that was the single most dominant defensive performance that I've ever witnessed. He was unbelievable. They moved him around. He was almost like an electric offensive player that you tracked every snap because you couldn't get enough of seeing what he was going to do next, how he was going to manipulate the defense, how he's going to manipulate the offense, excuse me, how they were going to try to double him and do different things to combat his his explosiveness. It was, it was a grand performance by Chase Young confirming what scouts had thought. I mean, look, he led the nation in sacks. He was tied for the lead with Curtis Weaver of Boise going into Saturday. He's obviously in the lead by a landslide right now. And, to me, it reaffirmed everything that I had seen and heard about him, and it was done on a big stage, and I think this is important. This wasn't Bowling Green. This is against Wisconsin. This is a program that's designed, engineered, and is built on stopping opposing defensive linemen. It is O-line U by a landslide, and so to be able to annihilate an opposing line like that that is prides itself on, on stopping elite defenders I really thought was was really impressive. You know, and I guess the second part of your question there is on quarterback. 
I have been on the Justin Herbert train since, since the start of the year. Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterback, who I believe has 21 touchdown passes and one interception right now going, in, going into the USC game, is built like the NFL wants a quarterback to be built. He is 6'5", 6'6". He is 220. He's a Ben Roethlisberger-sized quarterback. Uh, Kyler Murray certainly has, has in Baker Mayfield have certainly invited the trend for smaller quarterbacks. But I do believe those, it, you know, knowing a lot of these scouts and front office guys, they still see those guys as anomalies because guys need to stay healthy. And NFL front office people equate size to health. And I really think Herbert has taken a step forward this year with his completion percentage. He's shown a more evolved game. And I, I think in the eyes of a, of a lot of evaluators, he's the top quarterback on the board. Uh, and that's no knock on Tua. Tua's been great. The numbers are astronomical. Him being hurt probably has, hasn't helped him here. You know, does he play hobbled against LSU? Does that hurt him? Like he was a little bit hobbled in the SEC title game last year. We'll, we'll see. Tua's had a great year, but I do think we've evolved from the tank for Tua conversation. You know, it's interesting, Pete, uh, because you and I talked on Friday when I was at West Point and we talked about Chase Young. I sent out a tweet after we talked and it got uh, a lot of engagement, as they say. <laughs> You wrote a great story about Chase Young, uh, about his dad being 6'10 and all that stuff, which is crazy. But my whole thing is, do you think now, we talked about this last Friday, and I said, man, you know, it's kind of comical to me that the best player in college football is not even listed as a candidate. Do yeah. you think that there's a chance now after what happened on Saturday, after Tua getting hurt, Hurts and Oklahoma lost, as good as Ohio State is, they are still going to have marquee games against Penn State and Michigan coming up and probably the Big Ten championship game. Do you think there's a chance that Chase Young could actually get in this Heisman race and maybe even win it? Well, he's in it, Ross. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, look, he's going to have to consistently produce and perform at a position where elite performance doesn't always uh, equate to sacks, right? If you draw a double team and the guy comes from the other side and has a sack, you're not going to get credit for that uh, it is, as a defensive lineman. We don't have a nuanced understanding as fans and media of the impact that, that an explosive defensive end can have in different ways. But I think Saturday's resplendent performance inserts him in the conversation. And then, as you mentioned, the opportunity is going to be there for him to finish the job. But if you're a defensive player, you almost have to do 20% more than a quarterback or a tailback that you're that you're in competition with because there's a conventional understanding of production at those positions compared to defensive line. But I think it's fun to have a defensive guy in the race. I think it's different. I think it, it helps us understand football a little bit better. Sitting Me sitting down with Larry Johnson a couple weeks ago and Jeff Halfley, defensive coordinator at Ohio State, learning how Chase Young uses his hands learning all the different techniques that offenses are using to come to chip and to help on him in, in different things. To me, that's, that's a lot of fun to, to, to learn how a player can dominate from non-traditional positions of dominance. Uh, last one for me, Pete, uh, you know, after the Oklahoma loss and the Notre Dame loss on, on Saturday, what does that now mean for the college football playoff after Oklahoma lost to a big 12 team that they shouldn't have lost to for the 37th consecutive year. 
Uh, I think it's bad news for Oklahoma. That's obviously that, that that's pretty obvious. They're going to have a long slog to get back in to go on the road and lose to an unranked team. I think it's good news for Oregon, um, which now is a or or Utah as a potential one loss Pac-12 champion to kind of get closer to that top four conversation. I think it's good news for Penn State in a couple different scenarios, but I think surprisingly, it's especially good news for the SEC, which uh, has had a habit of putting one loss uh, teams into the college football playoff. And I think that if LSU loses on Saturday, they have a much better chance of getting in the playoff than if Alabama loses. Alabama has a grand total of zero quality wins right now. They still go to Auburn at the end of the year, which gives them a chance for one. But LSU crossed over with Florida one. They went to Texas and one, which doesn't look as good, but they're going to get a lot more credit for going to beat Texas than beat Duke on a neutral field. And then um, obviously LSU's already beaten Auburn. So I really think that one loss LSU is going to be the best position one loss team in college football. Should be an interesting rest of the way. Pete Thamel, Yahoo Sports, great to have you, my friend. Appreciate it. Check out their college sports podcast. Dan Wetzel, and I, I do believe Pat Forty is still 40. part of that, right? Yes, he is He is ride or die with, right. uh, with the old <laughs> Yahoo crew. So okay. fret not. Pat Forty joining Sports Illustrated. Great to see you, Pete. Appreciate the time. All right, want to get back into, dip back into World Series Game 7 tonight in Houston. First World Series, first NBA or NHL Final Series in which the road team has won all six games. The story last night, of course, about the umpire controversy that could have blown up in the face of Major League Baseball. Trey Turner called out at first base for interfering with the glove of Yuri Gurriel. The rule says technically the right call was made, but boy, could this have been a major debacle for Major League Baseball had the Nationals not blown it up late in this game to win 7-2. A uh, host out at Sports Radio 610 in Houston discussed that call and all the controversy surrounding it this morning. Listen. God, Trey Turner is a big baby. He sounds like a whiner. Like, why do I want to root for this guy? Joe Torrey's right there. Yeah. He's got his head down. He won't even look at him. Yeah. I'm like, what's Joe Torrey? Apparently, the umpire had to get on the phone so New York could explain to them that it wasn't a reviewable play. Yeah. For five, four minutes and 37 seconds. Yeah, what the hell? I, with, they should allow us to, when the phone call goes past 30 seconds, they should post them on MLB.com like they're 911 tapes. We should be able to listen as fans, be able to listen to that entire damn conversation that they have because we're sitting there waiting for the game to start up again on a non-reviewable play. I don't know about that, man. I think Trey Turner doing the right thing, trying to get the attention of Joe Torre. I think they had an absolute a right case to make, even though they're on the wrong side of the rule. Something I hope that gets the attention of Joe Torre, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, after this season and gets him to change it. This could have been a New Orleans Saints-like debacle where Drew Brees and company kept out of the Super Bowl because of not reviewing pass interference. They should get, uh, they should give Anthony Rendon a million bucks of his new major free agent deal he's about to get. Tack on an extra million bucks for bailing them out the way he balled out late in that ball game. Did you think Trey Turner was a baby? No, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, it's hard to feel that way when he's right. You know, I mean, those are guys in Houston. And I know those guys. I go on with those guys every week. I know those guys. But 
they kind of have the Houston perspective. The thing I did agree with them is just how long it took. You know, I was on the sideline Monday night, yes. Dave, when it took like 10 minutes for them to recheck the spot when Fitzpatrick dove for the first down against the Steelers. I mean, I would just submit to you this on that one from the Monday night one. If it takes that long, you probably shouldn't overturn it. I mean, you probably should just let it, I mean, that long. And then they still got it wrong. I mean, it was a total mess being the end of the quarter, and then it was challenged and all that stuff. And I felt the same way last night. Look, we want to get it right. But when you start getting past five minutes, I mean, it is, that's a brutal, brutal watch for anybody. Major League Baseball should be thankful. Should have been done quicker. Should have had better judgment given that it was clear Trey Turner was not interfering or not intentionally interfering with that bad throw from Brad Peacock of the Houston Astros. So you heard it from the Houston side. What we do here on Home and Home is we get to go into the home markets and hear it on both sides. Here was the radio call, 106.7 The Fan in D.C. last night. First pitch to Turner, and a full swing and a dribbler up the third base side. This is going to be a tough chance. Peacock hurries his throw, and the ball gets away. The ball through Guriel down the right field line. Gomes is going to head for third and Turner to second as Guriel's glove got knocked off, and they're going to call Turner out for being out of the baseline. Oh, my. So instead of second and third, they're going to send Gomes back to first, and Turner is out for being out of the baseline. And Davey Martinez is livid at Sam Holbrook. He's saying he's on the outside. Davey is livid. And he wants to talk to Sam Holbrook, who's coming over. So Turner is out, and Gomes goes all the way back to first, and Martinez is steaming, pointing up the line, saying this is where Turner was running, right down the line. That's the call, 106.7, the fan in D.C. And if you want to hear the D.C. call tonight, you know where to find it on the Radio.com app. Just check out 106.7, listen to them, have the call. Tonight's Game 7 Max Scherzer, after a quarter-zone shot, taking on Zach Granke. Can't wait to see that one. The twists and turns of that series continue. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to the black unicorn. Martellus Bennett played 10 years in the NFL, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots, made a Pro Bowl with the Bears. We'll talk to him after a quick break. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.